time once again for Sports Sidebar, covering sports for Northeast Ohio and sometimes even a little outside that area. Sports Sidebar, where we prove that a little knowledge is dangerous, but even less knowledge makes it a little easier to fill an hour. Now on to our hosts, Captain Bill and Dave. And welcome to another Sports Sidebar. I'm Dave, you're going to be stuck with me again here on, uh, for this, actually the full hour, Captain Bill is not here, uh, hoping to try and get Tim Davidson and even over the phone for next week. Uh, as always, Captain Bill is on assignment, and we'll just have to take it from there. Uh, a lot to go over. There'll be some ranting and raving. Mostly I'll be actually covering some articles. Which may leading to lead to some ranting and raving. I think I, I would like to start with this. Sad news for you know, there's been so many changes in the beacon. Well, there's yet another change that is happening. Sports columnist bids farewell to the Beacon Journal. Marla Ridenauer, columnist from USA Today. I arrived at the Akron Beacon Journal thinking the pinnacle of my journalism career had been covering the affirmed Adele Triple Crown in 1981. Then I found myself walking behind a Rolls-Royce convertible carrying LeBron James and his family through the streets of Cleveland amid the madness of the 2016 NBA Championship Parade. I arrived at the Akron Beacon Journal to escape being pigeonholed, yearning to expand and push myself. I was fortunate to be named sports columnist, but also to go where I'd never gone before, two Ohio State Football National Championships, Cleveland's 2016 World Series, Kent State's 2012 College World Series, and several University of Akron Men's College Soccer Cup appearances, including in the school's first team national title in 2010, capped by the Zips jump into the Pacific Ocean. <clears throat> in a span of one year, I covered OSU's Troy Smith, winning the 2006 Heisman Trophy, the football Buckeyes failing to, or falling to Florida in the BCS title game, and the basketball Bucks losing to the Gators in the 2007 NCAA championship. Curses chomped again, I wrote. I was able to relieve personal moments or relive personal moments sitting at my dying mother's bedside during the Cincinnati Bengals 1989 Super Bowl appearance, feeling her spirit beside me in our old church pew on Christmas Eve, reliving the horror of my gang rape in college triggered by the Browns' March trade for quarterback Deshaun Watson. But above all, I came to the Akron Beacon Journal in August of 1999 to tell people stories. I leave Friday after 23 years, not retiring, but accepting a buyout because of the demanding hours of digital journalism and not Watson's impending reinstatement from the league suspension. 
as I say goodbye to the ABJ and its people who trusted me enough to bear their souls about their heartaches, injuries, and journeys to personal triumph who will stick with me. I think of University of Akron golfer Avana Shan, who hit golf balls off the terrace in Mumbai during the pandemic and won the prestigious Dinosaur Trophy in 2021. Shaw and boyfriend Noah Alfman used social media to develop a database of volunteers they dubbed Call to Action. I think of middle-distance runner Clayton Murphy and pole vaulter Matt Ludwig willing to share their rise from the University of Akron to the Olympics. Murphy won a bronze in the 800 meters in 2016. Ludwig was last-minute replacement in 2021 Tokyo Games, barely making it in time after an exhausting trip. Think of the softball pitcher Lauren Bay Regula, a <clears throat> Bath resident who at age 40 helped Team Canada win its first Olympic medal. A bronze at those same summer games in Tokyo. The married mother of three now turns her focus to assisting those with postpartum depression, which she battled. I think of Grace Riley, a ninth grade Green High School junior varsity soccer player who underwent Botox therapy for compartment syndrome to get back on the field. That 2014 story may have been the long, had the longest shelf life. Her father, Todd, willingly responded to emails I forwarded from parents seeking the same treatment for their children. I think of the incredible bond of the 1972 Akron basketball team, of the irrepressible personality of former Kent State golf coach Herb Page, <coughs> of the stunning achievement of the 2003 British Open champion Ben Curtis. I think of master reinvention R.J. Niemer, the former sports agent, now dean of the University of Akron College of Business. I think of the leadership of UA soccer coach Jared Embrick and his precedented, precedent, precedent, Caleb Porter, the infectious spirit of former Zips middle infielder forward Diogo Paco as he battled thyroid cancer, the medical miracle of North Royalton teenager Vinny Mercurio, who survived a hemorrhagic stroke and learned how to play golf. I think of the Clearview Golf Club pro and trailblazer Renee Powell, who fights to keep her late father's legacy alive. I think of Brown's offensive tackle, Chris Hubbard, and assistant coach Callie Brownson, who discussed the most traumatic moments of their lives to help others. I think of one who wasn't an athlete at all. I remember Buckeye Beebe, the late Beebe Webner, I tracked down after then-Ohio State coach Jim Tressel mentioned he had a pen pal, an older lady from Akron, who had been a fan for 60 years. 
Before the 2006 game against Michigan, she wrote to warn him that the Wolverines <coughs> had burned the Buckeyes with a Statue of Liberty play. Trestle decided to call it himself, with Antonio Pittman running for 26 yards in a game-winning drive. The story was included in a chapter of Austin Murphy's book, Saturday Rules. I interviewed Webner at the Akron condominium where a Buckeye BB flag was draped over her balcony. She worshipped Trestle since he was hired in 2001 and sent his mother, Eloise, who died before he coached his first game, a pair of Ohio State earrings after he got the job. At least one of Trestle's notes to Webner was framed. That sparked my plan for them to meet. When Trestle spoke at the Hall of Fame Luncheon Club in Canton in the spring of 2007, I picked her up and sat her next to me at the media table. As Trestle was leaving, I introduced her to the man she considered her second son. She'd just been feted for her 80th birthday, but on the way home, Weber said this was better than any birthday party. Webner and Trestle saw each other a few more times, including a 2012 dinner at the Diamond Grill arranged by her brother-in-law, Mac Webner. I intended. He saw. He sent me notes, sometimes called or left a voicemail. The last time, five times, or uh, uh, the last five months before she died, after an article, it was awkward. Uh, after an article on an award I received, she ended with, Take care, love you. As I just listened to it again, the thought crossed my mind that I might have responded to Beacon Journal emails from readers over the years with, Take care, Marla, because of BB. As I move on to my next chapter, consider that. My farewell. That was uh, Marla Reddauer. She uh, is now retired. Now, whether she does some extra things for the Beacon or something like that, or maybe she'll work on some books. Who knows uh, with her sports knowledge. I didn't always agree with her perceptions, and she was always very strong and in her perceptions and stuff. And you could hear her at some of the press conferences in the sports and hearing her voice She's very displeased with uh, a lot of things that were going on, and you could hear her ask those hard questions that didn't always make her popular. She came on the show twice, very gracious to do so, and uh, I think once she was here in person, the second time during the pandemic, I, we just kind of wanted to find out how do you report during the pandemic when you can't go into the office, when everything is done by Zoom, when you can't really go to the games and things like that. Um, so that was an interesting conversation as well. Whether I agreed with her or not, she will be missed. Um, but, uh, you know what? She knows a heck of a lot more about sports than I do. Here we go. All right. That's going to put the, uh, the lid and we may see her again. You know, it depends on not having to do the daily digital grind. She could take more time with things and we may see her articles appear, publication of the Beacon, or like I said, we don't know what she's going to do. You know, she may be working on a book. Uh, some of the sports writers, like like Terry Pluto, uh, not only does he 
such a prolific writer for sports, but he's, he's done probably close to 20, close to 30 books he's written as well. And most all on sports figures or NBA or, or whatever the case is. So, uh, good luck to you, Marla. And we hope that you'll be, uh, we'll be seeing some more of your stuff as we go down the line here. All right. Um, I was actually surprised this one hit the paper today. <clears throat> I just didn't think it would be here. As Garland Mitchell lead Cavs past Lakers to eighth straight win. Now remember, the Cavaliers lost their first game of the season, and they haven't lost one since. They are now eight and one. This is by Greg Beecham off the Associated Press out of Los Angeles. <clears throat> Donovan Mitchell scored at 33 points and Darius Garland added 24. And then a dynamic Cleveland backcourt's return from injury absences. And the Cavaliers rolled past LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers 114 to 100 Sunday for their eighth consecutive victory. Now, I was, uh, at, um, uh, on tap. And I kept watching the scores. And it wasn't until well into the third quarter they actually took the lead for the first time over the Lakers. All right, let's get back to the article. Jared Allen added 16 points to to back the Cleveland Guards' latest two-man show, while the Cavs proved improved to 8-1, and one, extending their longest winning streak since a 13-game run late in 2017 during James' final season with his hometown club. <clears throat> Cleveland hasn't made the playoffs without James on its roster since 1988, but this current group appears primed to make its own history. Cavs trailed by 12 points in the first half against Los Angeles, but smoothly surged away from the inconsistent Lakers with a prolonged run in the second half. James scored 27 points, and Anthony Davis had 19 points and 12 rebounds for the Lakers, who dropped to 2-7 and seven with their second straight home defeat. Russell Westbrook, Westbrook added 19 points and 10 assists with 7 turnovers in another lively performance as a reserve. But the Lakers had no defensive answer for Mitchell and Garland. Garland had played in just one of the Cavaliers' previous games due to an eye injury and a subsequent knee injury. Garland and Mitchell sat out Cleveland's win over Detroit Friday, <clears throat> but both returned in top form with a combined 17 for 35 shooting, four three-pointers, 19 for 20 performance at the free-throw line. Mitchell remained in a groove with the second uh, with his new team, topping 30 points for the sixth time in eight games. Um, there it is. Mitchell and Garland combined for 42 points in the first half while their teammates all struggled and Cleveland took its first lead early in the third quarter. The Cavs stretched their lead to 17 in the final minutes. James snapped his skid of 16 consecutive missed three points attempts across four games with a bucket in the fourth quarter. 
Kendrick Nunn played 18 scoreless minutes in his first start for the Lakers in place of Patrick Beverly, who sat out with an illness. Nunn, who missed the entirety of his first season with the Lakers due to a bone bruise, played less than five combined minutes in the Lakers. Past three games, after struggling with his shot and turnovers to start the season. Now, looking over the records here, Cavs are, I, I heard, are the second best in the, uh, and they are. They have the second best record in the NBA. And in the, and that's in their own division, the only team that is beating them. It's Milwaukee in the Central Division. Milwaukee has nine wins, no losses. Cleveland is following them with eight wins and one loss, one game back. Chicago and Indiana. Chicago is five and six, five games back. And Indiana is four and five, five games back. Detroit is two and eight with seven and a half games back. And that wraps up the Central Division. When it all comes down to it at the end of the season, they don't go by divisions. They go by number of wins, the top, what is it? And I was thinking six teams, and then they have two wild cards now or three wild cards. I forget exactly what it is. It's all kind of crazy to have the play and to make the playoffs now. Yeah, and uh, the most wins in any other division comes to us in the Western Conference. Memphis is 7 and 3, Utah 73, and Phoenix is 7 and 2. So <clears throat> that uh is is what we have looking at the NBA. In Saturday's games, uh we had Sacramento 126, Orlando 123 in overtime, Boston 133, New York 118, Atlanta 124, New Orleans 121 in overtime. <coughs> Milwaukee was 108, Oklahoma City 94, Minnesota 129, Houston 117, Denver 126, San Antonio 101. Phoenix 102, Portland 82, Brooklyn 98, and Charlotte 94. <laughs> that was Saturday. For Sunday's games, we only have uh, Cleveland at the LA Lakers. 114-100, as we know. It was Memphis 103, Washington 97. It was the Toronto 113, Chicago 104, and Utah at Clippers was a late game. Now, on Monday, I think every team is playing Monday, but Tuesday, absolutely no team is playing. The NBA did that on purpose. They're trying to make sure everybody gets out there and gets the vote. If you haven't voted yet... You still have plenty of times. Polls are open till at least eight o'clock. I think it's nine o'clock. Polls is closed, but it's open till at least eight o'clock. You have plenty of time. Uh, you don't even have to run out right now. You can run out after this broadcast and go put your vote in. Everybody needs to vote. Get your say. All right, that's about all we have here for the um, NBA. As we move things around the table and keep going. I find it interesting. Uh, well, here's the WNBA article. Of course, uh, the, the season is over, but <laughs> season's been over a little bit for Griner. Uh, Griner headed to Penal Colony <clears throat> as Moscow Court <clears throat> denies appeal. By Ann M. Simmons and Lu Louise Ran Ranofsky out of Moscow. 
A Moscow regional court <clears throat> upheld the drug conviction of U.S. women's basketball star Brittany Greener, paving the way for a two-time Olympian to serve nine years in a penal co colony for possession and smuggling of less than a gram of hashish oil. Now, let me tell you, this was medically done, uh, for a medical prescription for her. The Russians do not accept that. And it was a an inhaler type thing. The court hearing Ms. Grainer's appeal on Tuesday had the option of leaving the verdict as it is, reducing the sentence, or overruling it and returning it to the lower court where the case was first heard. The decision sets the stage for further diplomatic wrangling between the U.S. and Russia amid already icy relations over the war in Ukraine. Ms. Griner's best hopes of returning home have long been thought to rest on negotiated prisoner exchange between two countries, but the process is complex. U.S. officials criticized the decision though expectations were low before the hearing. The court, uh, court's three-judge panel ruled that each day that Ms. Greiner spent in pretrial detention would count for one and a half days served at the penal colony. But the rest of the sentence is unchanged, the judges said. <coughs> Nothing in the previous sentence... Nothing in the result of today's appeal changes, and the fact the United States government considers Ms. Grainer to be wrongfully detained, said Elizabeth Rood, charge d'affaires at U.S. Embassy in Moscow. Ms. Grainer's attorneys, Maria Baglavonia and Alexander Boykov, said, We still think the punishment is excessive and contradicts the existing court practice. They said Ms. Grainer's biggest fear is that she won't be part of a prisoner exchange and would have to serve the entire sentence. The lawyer said it would be several more months before Ms. Grainer is moved from the pretrial detention center where she has been since mid-February. Ms. Grainer participated in the court proceedings via video link. She alternately sat and stood in the cage. Two female guards stood outside. She appeared to be calm and listened to the court translator. The judge read out the charges saying that Ms. Grainer had, had been in possession of significant amount of drugs. Her lawyers argued that her client's actions lacked intent. Ms. Grainer appealed to the court to reassess her sentence to take that into consideration or into account. She apologized for what she called a mistake. She did not intend to do this, but I understand the charges brought against me, and I just hope that is taken into account, too, that I did plead guilty, she said. <clears throat> The prosecutor asked the judge to dismiss the athlete's appeal, stating that it was groundless. The U.S. declared in May that it believed Ms. Grainer 
to be wrongfully detained, Washington has openly pressed Moscow to accept what it has characterized as substantial proposal for her release, and that another American also deemed wrongfully detained in Russia, former Marine Paul Whelan, who was given 16-year sentence for espionage in 2020. People familiar with the matter said the U.S. offered to trade Ms. Grainer and Mr. Whelan for Victor Bout, Russian convicted U.S. charges of arms dealing. Russia has indicated it wants at least one more person returned as part of the trade for two Americans. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that after the appeal decision was announced, that in recent weeks, the Biden-Harris administration has continued to engage with Russia through every available channel and make every effort to bring home Brittany, as well as to support and advocate for other Americans detained in Russia, including fellow wrongfully detained Paul Whelan. Ms. Grainer was convicted in August of bringing marijuana with criminal intent into Russia. In mid-February, the sentence is to nine years in prison. Russian prosecutors had said that the vape cartridges contained a total of 0.702 grams of hashish oil were confiscated from Ms. Grainer's luggage when she arrived in Russia to resume playing basketball for the Russian team, UMMC. Tannenberg, one of the few... Try again. UMMC Ekberg, one week before Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. So crazy things going on there. Absolutely. I don't have anything else on WNBA or on that situation. So from there, we're just going to kind of move along. Ohio State. Ohio State won 21-7. Triple the score. It wasn't enough for a lot of people. Now, I don't understand that. I mean, in all sports, especially football, weather is the great equalizer. If it's downpouring rain, which it was, and they had gusts of wind up to 40 miles an hour. They also had wind all the time, but gusts up to 45 miles an hour. And so had to abandon their passing game. I guess the quarterback came in and said, we have to run because I have no idea where this ball is going when I throw it in the air. Um, That being said, they did an amazing job winning by, and again, it was by they tripled their score. It was by two touchdowns. Um, a lot of people angry and disappointed. You know what? When you have a game like that, it's it's just unbelievable that people are going to complain that they didn't win by a bigger score. <clears throat> that they <clears throat> This is not the first game that the Buckeyes have not beat the point spread. Maybe that's what they're angry about. They didn't they didn't win because of their point spread or whatever. But they won the game. They keeps them at a perfect nine and zero. It comes after you know a week off they had uh, they had off last week and then this weekend they they played. 
Let's go ahead and take a look at the USA Today Sports uh, AFCA coaches poll. Um, number one, Georgia is still number one. No, no, there wasn't much change going on. Um, a little bit, okay. Actually, there's quite a bit of change here. Georgia uh, is in first place, was last week. At 9-0, they got 61 first-place votes. Ohio State is still in second place, but actually because of their win, received no, not one, nada, 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 uh, not one uh, vote for first place. They are in second place. Michigan moved up from number four to number three, and they received two number one votes. Number four, from moving from number seven up to number nine, is Texan... Texas Christian Academy, TC or Texas Christian University, TCU, and they beat, I believe it was, um, I believe it was Alabama. They beat Alabama because Alabama was like number five or six. They fell. Oh, oh, well, let me see right here. They were number six last week. They fell all the way to number eleven. We'll get down to there. So Texas Christian University is number four. <laughs> And the top four are the the top four are the only ones in the playoff this year yet. Next year, I believe it expands. I think to twelve. I'm not a thousand percent sure, but I think it's to twelve. Uh, takes number six. Oregon moved up to number six. Remember, oh, Tennessee moved down. They lost. I think the Notre Dame. I think that's who they lost to. Anyway. They are now eight and one, and they moved from number three down to number five. <laughs> uh, and, and mentioning this, the top four teams are the only teams in the top twenty-five that are undefeated. Number six is Oregon. It was number eight last week. Number seven is Southern Cal, also at eight and one, and they were number nine last week. Number eight is LSU. And they're now seven and two. They were, last week they were number seventeen. Now they're number eight. Number nine, Ole Mississippi. They are eight and one. And last week they were number ten. They moved up one notch to number nine. Also moving up one notch, UCLA moved up from number eleven to number ten, and with their eight and one record, Alabama is that not sitting at number eleven? That's the Good old Nick Saban there. He went from he went from what sixth place all the way down to eleventh. And Utah, who is now seven and two, no, no, Clemson. I'm sorry, Clemson, who is eight and one, went from fifth all the way down to twelfth. So they must have lost last week. I'm not having the games scores here. Um, up next, it is. Uh, Clemson, Utah, and North Carolina is at number 14. They were at number 15 last week. They had a 7 and 2 record. North Carolina State is at number 16. They were number 20 last year. The Tulane, number 17. All right, well, that's just there. I was looking for some other kind of number or anything. Penn State seven and two, 
one of those losses is to the Buckeyes. They went from 15, from 16 up to 15. NC State went from number 20 to number 16 with a 7-2 record. Tulane went from 21 up to 17 with a 8-1 and record. Texas was 28 and... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. They were 28th last week. They are 18th this week. They are 636... At Texas two, Tulane is eight and one. They were they were at the uh, number seventeen. They were twenty one last week. Liberty was twenty three last week, up to nineteen this week. Illinois was at thirteen last week. They moved down to number twenty with their seventy two record. Central Florida moved last week from twenty five up to twenty one. Yeah, at Central Florida, they were seven and two. Kansas State. Moved from 14 down to number 22. They are at 6-3. and three. And let's see, Washington was number 29, moved up to 23. And that is uh, uh, that was with a 6-3 and three record. Washington was at 29, moved up to 23. They are 7-2. and two. And Washington, they're at, they were at 29 last week, moved up to 23. Their record is 7-2. and two. Kentucky, it was 24th last week, 24th again this week. They are 6-3. and three. And Notre Dame was 63 and uh, 63. They are 6-3. They were 33 last week. They are number 25 this week. That's going to do it for our confusing Tuesday uh, coaches poll. Um, this is not the, the actual tournament poll, but this is the coaches poll, and it's pretty usually flex pretty closely what the uh, championship is. I think it comes out Wednesday. And again, they have number one, Georgia, number two, Ohio State, number three, Michigan, and number four, Texas Christian. And those, if it were to all end today, those are the four teams that would be in the playoff. As we keep rolling along, I'm going to rant a little bit here about the Browns. Uh, everybody keeps talking about how great this Browns team is now. After one really good, there was their best game of the week, I agree, and I'm tainted against them this year. For the whole Deshaun Watson debacle, how they tr- how they handled it, how they treated their players, and uh, how they kind of messed over the other owners and the NFL by doing what they did and structuring things how they did. So that's why I'm tainted against them. The fact is, I couldn't really enjoy that game. Next year, I'll be able to enjoy the Browns more because all this mess at this point will be behind us. But this year, I am tainted. A little bit uh, against them, and uh, and I'm I'm talking about I'm I'm a Browns fan. When Boney, Bernie Kosar was released, I swore I would not wear my Browns jacket for the rest of that year, and I didn't. And it was the only winter coat I had. I froze my tush off that year. I'm a Browns fan, and my problem with that was not that he was released. He obviously Bill Belichick was our coach. And he obviously had a different view of 
offense than Bill Belichick did. That's when Bill Belichick was here, and he was insisting on calling all the offensive plays himself. Different, completely different offensive philosophy. That's why it's appropriate. The last play that Bernie Kosar did as a Brown was how he drew a dirt, a play in the dirt with Michael Jackson for a touchdown pass. The stadium was going wild. They flashed on Bill Belichick, and he just looked pissed. That's all there is to it. He, he was angry. So the next morning he came out, and instead of saying something like, because Bill Belichick doesn't dance around, I understand that. In some ways I appreciate it, but this way I didn't. Basically, he could have said something very simple like, look, Bernie and I have completely different philosophies, and we're giving him his unconditional release so that he can latch on with another team and help them. That, But that's just a complete difference in philosophies. I could have accepted that and wore my Browns jacket. I'd been upset, you betcha, but I could have accepted that. Instead, he came out and basically said he was releasing Bernie Kozar because of his diminished skills. Did he have some diminished skills? Yes, he did. You get as many concussions as that man had from a line that couldn't protect him and things like that. Yes, he had some diminished skills. But he also knew football, and he could see the whole field. And it just, to me, was extremely disappointed, and even more so the way he was let go. Well, with this whole Deshaun Watson thing that came out, one they said three times, even including back at the the um, well, the, the the tryouts for the college guys. The the uh, I forget what they call it in Indianapolis. They 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 assured Baker that he was their presumptive starter, and and not that Baker's had a great year because he hasn't. But I'm just saying he was told three times from the end of the season till then. And but didn't tell him they'd been secretly trying to court Deshaun Watson since November. And when it finally hit public, that's when Baker actually found out that he was going to be replaced by Deshaun Watson. He had no idea, as did anyone else, because they were so quiet and somehow it slipped out in the media. That's how he found out after being told three times after the end of the season, that he was the presumptive starter. Then, okay, so that's bad enough. They treat your player that bad. Then they held on to him until it was almost too late to even go to another team. And he came in the middle of August, didn't really have time to learn the playbook and everything else. I'm not concerned about that. He's a smart guy. I said, okay, he can still overcome. Well, he really hasn't. Either the, the Panthers are that bad or else he just maybe isn't even a lot of the, the sports guys are saying look yeah he's not he's not a backup quarterback he's a starter and he may have his really bad games but he's also got his really good games so you hope you catch him on the right day or if you're opposing team on the wrong day uh and, and what he's been able to prove or not prove uh, with the Carolina Panthers that's extremely on him. I That doesn't bother me. I was rooting for him only because of the way he was treated. I kind of like the guy. He's a very gutsy guy. But, again, I could have handled that if they hadn't already promised him and then messed him over so he couldn't even go to another team until midway through the training sessions with, with, the, with the different places. Then they turned around 
And, you know, and he had all this baggage. 23 lawsuits against him, and they, they brought him on, paid him a record, a record 42 or 42 or 43 million dollar contract. Guaranteed. The highest guaranteed contract in the history of football. Will it be passed up? Yeah, you betcha. It's going to be passed up. But the fact is, here's a guy, he didn't play at all last year because once this, the allegations started coming out, the, he wanted to be traded and they basically benched him for the entire season. So here's a man with all these troubles that they bought. And then he went down and said, well, they did their own investigation. Well, their own investigation wasn't asking anybody except maybe the NFL people there, there, or the, the Houston people there. And actually, I think there were only law, three lawsuits against them at the time they made the trade. And then there were 23 all of a sudden. Um, all those but one have settled and another one has come out against also. So, you know, it's just, it's, it seems to be a never ending story about Sean Watson and the baggage that he carries coming from Houston. So they did that, and basically what they did is they screwed all the other NFL teams because now with him, even not stepping foot on for over for for a year, not stepping on the field competitively, he gets the highest guaranteed contract in the history of the NFL. Then he turns around, uh, the Browns turn around, and the way they structure him, they give him, what, a $17 million or better. No, I, I you know, I'm going to have to look at that, but at least a $17 million bonus, signing bonus, something like that. Maybe it's $23 million, I don't know. Uh, if it was... I think if it was only 43, it couldn't have been that. But they gave that to him in a signing bonus. And then signed him up only to play the entire season for $1 million. The reason they did that was they knew, they absolutely knew that Deshaun Watson was going to spend some time being, whether it be six games, three games, 12 games, or the whole season, being... uh disciplined and being uh, uh, suspended from football. They all knew that. So by structure for only $1 million and you get paid by the game, he was only going to lose like 70000 no, which is a lot to us, seventy or $75,000 a week for the time that he was suspended. Um, therefore, skirting the NFL by not having big fines levied against him. I mean, it just one underhanded thing after a underhanded thing after a, 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 a underhanded thing. And since you can't fire the owners, who were basically the ones all behind this, who disappeared from the moment the 23 lawsuits came about and basically has not been public to the um, writers since then. So that, that's why I'm tainted. So now they have Brissett, who is a career backup. He started before, yes, he has. He has a terrible winning record. And his record with the Browns isn't really any better. Has has he done an adequate job for a backup? Yeah. 
He's not a starter. He did, he's done an adequate job for a backup. But as it is, we are what? Three and five. We have a bye week this last weekend, so we didn't win or we didn't lose. Next week we face Miami. Miami is, is really doing, uh, they've been improving week, uh, uh, year after year. They're at six and three. So it's very, uh, uh, interesting to see the rise of Miami, but they're a very tough team. They, uh, looking at it here, and that's who we will pay, play. They have scored 213 points and allowed 224, which means the six, the, these nine games they played have all been very close. When we look at Cleveland, very close as well. They've scored 200 points and allowed 199. These were right there, but not quite. But after this last game with Cincinnati, you have people screaming we were going to playoffs in the Super Bowls. We were three and five. Uh, Cincinnati was at, uh, Baltimore was leading it. They were at four and three. Okay, so we're, we're three and five now. They're at, uh, Baltimore's at five and three, and the, uh, Bengals are five and four, and Baltimore plays tonight. I don't think, I forget, the, let me see. Sunday, Monday, Monday is Washington, no, Washington and Philadelphia. Oh, that's the 14th. The seventh. Monday's game is Baltimore at New Orleans. Now, New Orleans is not enough, uh, a really tough team this year. Looking to see where New Orleans is there at three and five. Uh, allowed 199 and score, uh, scored 199 and allowed 200. They were three and five. So again, all these close, uh, is, is this parody? I just thought that we had the worst team in all of the NFL. Let's take a look at the NFL North. We have Baltimore on top. They are five and three. <clears throat> if they win tonight, uh, or if they win Monday night, which is before I recorded, they will be at six and three. And as it stands now, they're five and three leading, uh, the division. And they are two, they scored 208 points, allowed a 183. Fairly close. Uh, Cincinnati has scored 228 and has allowed 185. So you're talking about a 43 differential there in nine games, which is a lot more spread than, than everyone else. Cleveland then has again one point differentiate with 200 points scored and 199 games of points allowed. And Pittsburgh, lowly Pittsburgh is at the bottom with two and six. They have scored 120 points allowed 197. So that certainly tells you what their basic problem is, is basically it is the defense. Although, you know, they've only scored 120 points. So I'm looking here. Actually, that's the lowest of any team, any team in the NFL. They've only scored 120 points. 197 points allowed. Well, that's a lot like uh, uh, many others. So I'm I'm not really going to beef on that. You know, they lost their quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, finally retired. And it left them with a big, 
big hole. And as you recall, they went through seven or eight quarterbacks till they got Big Ben. And the most successful was Stuart Cordell, and he was only had moderate success. But so are they in another dark hole until they get their next Big Ben? It's possible. Could they turn it around before that? Well, they're going to have to find a way to score more points, and they're going to have to way, find a way to notch up their defense. Although, you know, with the defense, Baltimore's allowed 183, Cincinnati's allowed 185, Cleveland's allowed 199, and Pittsburgh's allowed 197. So they're within the rendering of our division, which I believe is not real good. But the, but the defense is, is about the same as that. Now, it's in the points four. Baltimore had 208. Cincinnati has 229. Cleveland had 200. And Pittsburgh had 120. So their offense is completely anemic. Is it the offensive line? Is it their quarterbacks? Well, it's a good part of the quarterbacks. It may be partially the offensive line, but it is a good, good part of the off, uh, of the, uh, uh, quarterback who, is the most important person on this team. Games are built around the quarterback. And as your quarterback goes, so goes your team. That's for sure. So, you know, again, I'm poo-pooing the Browns to a point because of all their nasty uh, tactics throughout the offseason. Uh, but next year I'll be able to go. But again, they get their best win of the year against Cincinnati. And Cincinnati, Joe Burrows has never won against them. He's played them five times, lost five times. He did not play in one game. So they've, Browns have won the last six meetings with Cincinnati. And what happens is, and again, there's different players and all, but there's, I don't know of anybody who's more superstitious than professional athletes. And Joe Burrow, uh, might have it in his crawl that he just can't not, cannot beat the Browns. If that happens, if you, if you think something long enough, you're going to make it happen. I don't know that he is or not, but I think that it may be part of it. The, but the, he's played him five times and has not beat him once. Yeah, a couple times has been on some two games of extremely fluke plays that allowed them to go in. The last game of the season last year, Burroughs didn't even play. They didn't need him in there. And basically we, we played against second stringers and, and, and most, most all parts because she wanted, because the, they wanted to save Joe for the playoffs. And he did take them all the way to the Super Bowl. They didn't win, but he took them all the way to the Super Bowl. He's starting to look super again. I mean, he was, again, up by 20-some points in the NFL. Get that back here. Let's take a look at the, the game scores real quick. Thursday was Thursday night game was Philadelphia 29, Houston 17. Sunday's game, Cincinnati 42, Carolina 21. So they doubled them with 21 points. Uh, Detroit 15, Green Bay 9th, handing Aaron Rodgers his fourth straight loss. Watching him go off the field, I didn't really see what, because again, it's too noisy at the, the place, but I did see him walking off looking kind of dejected or disgusted or something. Lost his fourth straight game. 
Heideke did that his rookie year, and it has not happened since his rookie year. Uh, then we have Jacksonville, Jacksonville, that's right, 27, Las Vegas 20, Jacksonville complete crazy town last year. Well, they beat Las Vegas 27-20. It was the LA Chargers, uh, 20, Atlanta 17, it was Miami 35, Chicago 32 in a close one. It was Minnesota 20, Washington 17, Kirk Cousins has won his, what, third or fourth in a row now. It was um, New York Jets beating the Buffalo Bills twenty to seventeen. Buffalo had a chance; they just couldn't. They couldn't get up there and, uh, and far enough down there to get that extra point to take it into overtime. Let's see. We're now at uh, uh, Buffalo is now second, has two losses, but they are six and two, still leading their division. But right behind them is Miami and the Jets. At six and three, and followed by New England at five and four. But if she doesn't lose this one, then we'll have to blow blow this this up some more. I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, let's see. Continuing on, New England twenty six, Indianapolis three. As Bill Belichick seems to be finding his stride once again. It was Seattle 31, Arizona 21. It was Tampa Bay 16, the LA Rams 13. And Tom Brady had to come from behind. He drew, he actually orchestrated, he lost three games in a row. Then he orchestrated a comeback drive at the end of the game to win at 16-13. It was Tennessee and Kansas City for, for, uh, Sunday night football. And Monday night's game is Baltimore at New Orleans. Teams ahead off, Cleveland, Denver, Pittsburgh, Dallas, uh, New York Giants, and San Francisco, which is much better than the, the off day they had last year, which was like, like four weeks before the end of the season. So 13 weeks into it, they finally had a bye, uh, which was just utterly ridiculous. Okay. I think that's going to pretty much do it for the Browns. We've hit the Browns. We've hit the, uh, move this over here. What do we got over here? Uh, oh, hey, I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't talk some about the World Series. Again, Houston has a reputation of cheating, or had one anyway, and that does follow you. And there were questions that happened this year in the World Series. They were explained away, but still, the question that will always hound you. We truly earn this. This is by Gabe Lacquis of the USA Today. Second championship, a relief for the scandal-plagued Astros. It is a weight that does not go away, and deep down, Houston Astros believe it never will. In three years since it was revealed, <clears throat> Astros... 2017 World Series Championship was boosted by an electronic sign stealing scandal. The uh, club has figuratively and sometimes literally not looked up. Nothing can wash it away, but success can be a deodorant. Nothing can undo the banging trash cans, the illicit TV monitor, the computer programs that help to intercept opponents' pitches and feed them to Astros hitters. <clears throat> 
but four World Series appearances in six years can justify the grandeur achievements of their stars. And nothing can restore all the luster to the gold banner hanging above center field at Minute Maid Park. That commemorative... Uh, all right. And that commemorates the 2017 World Series champions. But putting the second one aside, it will at least make a bumpy road back from the ignominy well worth it. Saturday night, the Astros won the second championship in club history, their 4-1 victory over Philadelphia Phillies, producing a 4-2 World Series conquest that will not erase the stain attached to 2017. It won't quiet the boos in opposing ballparks, nor the often vicious backlash via social media or beer-fueled stadium rants. Instead, the Astros have had to find their joy internally, both within the clubhouse that and the confines of Minute Maid Park, where, oh, where they crammed in Saturday night to see Jordan Alvarez hit a series-winning shot 450 feet to see veteran Jose Altura and rookie shortstop Jeremy Pena leap in each other's arms two generations of Astros greats celebrating a singular moment. Uh, I'm going to break this off here because we're almost out of time. I did want to mention um, although that, that Stephen Kwan did not get the the Rookie of the Year as I, of course, being tainted, being, one of the, being a Guardians fan, uh, he did win a gold glove. Matter of fact, a team record four gold gloves were winning by were won by our our second baseman, our center fielder, our left fielder, and Shane Bieber. You know, and I never really hear the the, the pitcher that gets the gold glove, which means he's for fielding percentages and such. And you never really think of that as a starting uh, a starting pitcher to be uh, the defensive player. But of course, they give it in all positions. And what an exciting thing this is to have four gold glove winners here at the Cleveland to, to tack on to the, the other one. Now, they have not, I don't think they've announced the uh, manager of the year. Terry Francona should get that hands down. They're talking about the, the Baltimore coach who brought them up to at least a winning percentage. I understand that, but Terry Francona took this team of young, youngest in the, the majors, 14 people made their debuts this year in the team. And, of course, the lowest payroll in all of baseball took them into the second round of the playoffs. Absolutely amazing. Could not have been done without Terry Francona at the helm. And with that, that looks like it's really all the time that I do have for today's sports sidebar. Uh, thanks for putting up with my ranting and raving. Hopefully, I'll get Tim Davison either in or on the phone to help out with next week. But until that time, always stay. Uh, hang in there, Captain Bill. You'll be, be you'll be back in two weeks, and probably hopefully with some better puns than what he's been leaving us with. And uh, we'll see everyone next week right here on Sports Sidebar.